Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates Inside Science interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and we have a fantastic interview today with Smithsonian Associate Dr. Andrew Lamb about his upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation titled, The Only Winner in War is Medicine. I'll introduce Dr. Andrew Lamb in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 731st episode when I spoke with Dr. Preethi Malani, clinical professor of geriatric medicine at the University of Michigan, and who is part of the research team who've just released the University of Michigan's national poll on healthy aging. Two weeks ago, I spoke with director, actor, comedian, and television host Dave Couillet, who was Joey Gladstone on Full House. Dave and I reminisced about... Full House and all the behind-the-scenes stories from that hit TV show. Excellent, excellent interview subjects for our Not Old Better Show audience. If you miss those shows, along with any others, you can go back and check them out, along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website at notold-better.com. You can Google Not Old Better and get everything you need to know about us. The history of medicine is replete with advances made by hard-working maverick doctors who, through intelligence, serendipity, and perseverance, made astonishing progress against humankind's deadliest diseases. Yet, our guest today, surgeon and author, Dr. Andrew Lamb, says one factor spurred more medical breakthroughs than any other, war. Dr. Andrew Lamb will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates coming up, so please check out our website for more details along with Smithsonian Associates' website. You can find all those details in our show notes today. His full presentation is titled, The Only Winner in War is Medicine. We have Dr. Lamb today to share some details and introduction as Dr. Lamb reveals to us here how D-Day Luftwaffe bombing raids top-secret Liberty ship cargo and aerial dogfights during World War II bequeathed to humanity innovations in surgery, cancer treatment, and trauma care that still serve us today. Dr. Lamb's book on medical history, The Masters of Medicine, Our Greatest Triumphs in the Race to Cure Humanity's Deadliest Diseases, will be discussed too. I think you're going to enjoy this historic account of medical advances so please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates Inside Science Interview Series on Radio and Podcasts, Dr. Andrew Lamb. Dr. Andrew Lamb, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, our guests uh, are all renowned just like you have written you know wonderful pieces of of literature and uh you of course are focused on science i love the science part of what i get to do for smithsonian and you're going to be appearing at the smithsonian associates program coming up title of your presentation is the only winner is the only winner in war is medicine and i think that that's a very powerful title. Caught me immediately. I know our audience will enjoy this presentation of yours. 
You, of course, can find out more information about the Smithsonian Associates presentations uh, on our website. We'll put links up so that you can find out more information about Dr. Lamb and his new book, The Masters of Medicine, which we will talk about. But let's talk first about your upcoming presentation. Why don't you tell us briefly mm-hmm. a little bit about that and particularly how how you'll be using Zoom to engage our audience. We're all on Zoom sure. these days. And so I... I uh, I leave it to you, please. Just uh, jump right in. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for this opportunity to share some of the fantastic stories that have really inspired me and drove me to write this book. And I'm really looking forward to my Zoom presentation for Smithsonian Associates, partly because I know know, the audience is likely to be full of history buffs like me who Mm -hmm. love hearing fascinating stories that have changed all our lives for the better. Before I went to medical school, I studied military history at Yale. And so perhaps that's why it's not surprising that for my talk, I've chosen to focus on one of my favorite themes that runs through the book, which is how World War II specifically led to many advances in medicine. And I think Zoom is a great way to do this because we're not only going to be able to reach people all over the world, but it also allows me to show a lot of great illustrations and newsreel footage pertaining to the history, the combat, the surgeries that were developed because of the unique injuries that doctors encountered during the war. There are, I think I'm going to speak about three specific stories uh, in my presentation. First, how a grievously wounded soldier during D-Day forced a surgeon to operate on a beating heart out of complete desperation. You know, this is before the advent of the heart-lung machine, which today allows us to stop a beating heart to perform a proper operation. But I'll explain how this World War II story changed all our lives for the better and ultimately led to the development of modern cardiac surgery. A second story is another great one. It's about how a Luftwaffe bombing raid of an Allied fleet in Bari, which is a which is a harbor or a town in Italy on the southeastern coast of Italy on the Adriatic, how the bombing led to the destruction of a top secret Allied cache of mustard gas bombs in the hold of a Liberty ship. Mm. And this fiasco with poison gas led to many deaths, a cover up by the army, and later the serendipitous realization that mustard gas's ability to dramatically depress white blood cell counts could actually be used to treat cancer. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to discuss something about the Battle of Britain, which led to an invention that will benefit every single one of us. And this is one that has to do with my own medical field, which is ophthalmology. I'm a retina surgeon in my day job. The intraocular lens was invented by an ophthalmologist who examined an RAF fighter pilot who was in his Hawker hurricane and unfortunately was shot down. And Messerschmitt bullets unfortunately shattered his plexiglass canopy and pieces of plexiglass from this injury went into, from this event went into his eyes and the ophthalmologist examined him and amazingly noticed something very peculiar. The plexiglass pieces in his eyes were totally inert. And by that, I mean, they weren't causing any inflammation or infection, which is exactly what you'd expect with any foreign material in the eye, especially one introduced in a combat situation. And he realized later that boy, Right now, we just take out cataracts and don't do anything. We just leave the patients without a lens. But what if we created an artificial lens using this material, which I now see the body will not reject, and make an artificial lens? And every single one of us, everyone listening, you and I will benefit from this artificial lens when we all get cataract surgery someday. So these are just a few of the fantastic stories from World War II that um, have helped and advanced medicine. 
Thank you for that. Your book, The Masters of Medicine, Our Greatest Triumphs in the Race to Cure Humanity's Deadliest Diseases, is getting great reviews. Congratulations Thank on you. the book itself, all the research. Really excellent job. Um, Robert Pazell, I want to read one of the reviews because I just thought this was so mm -hmm. powerful, Dr. Lamb. Robert Pazell, the Thank past you. chief science and health correspondent for NBC News. We all know Bob Pazell. And his, his great work, he says, stunning narratives of pain, disappointment, luck, and above all, the hard work that it took to succeed mm -hmm. about Andrew Lamb's new book, The Masters of Medicine. Again, congrats on this book. I love Thank that story so about the mustard key. You're welcome. Absolutely. Maybe dive into the mustard gas story a little bit and tell us how that did fundamentally change um, our, our mm -hmm. medical histories, particularly with regard to cancer, because I thought I, I think that would be really interesting to hear a little bit more of if you don't. Sure. So if you recall your World War II history, in 1943, mm -hmm. uh, we had basically succeeded in North Africa, but we needed to get a foothold in the soft underbelly of Europe, right? So we invaded Italy. And immediately, the Italians basically surrendered, but the Germans were not so quick to give up their territory. So there was a, a difficult battle up the Italian peninsula, and there was a harbor on the southeastern coast where the Allies would bring tons of supplies in to supply their armies. And it was, it was so, so urgent and so important that they unload as much as possible that they basically gave up on things like the, the blackout at night. They, they, didn't, they didn't either because of a lack of foresight or lack of time, they didn't really defend this area as well as they should have. There was only one anti-aircraft battery in the entire city, and there was no RAF fighters nearby. It was a British zone of occupation. Um, and so Kesselring, who was the German commander in northern Italy, realized he had a great opportunity. So he sent an armada of bombers and it was called the second Pearl Harbor because the fleet was caught so unaware and 17 ships were sunk. It was a complete fiasco. And believe it or not, the allies had a secret cache of mustard gas bombs in the hold of a Liberty ship. Hmm. And later, you know, the first question that people ask is why did they have this poison gas? Because it turns out the Geneva convention, which both Germany and America were signatories to said that you could not use poison gas, but it didn't have any um, prohibition of, 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 against having it, about possessing it. So Eisenhower later explains, like, we just had this in case the enemy used it, essentially. So we'd have it as so we could reply in kind. But they were terrified that once this mustard gas basically contaminated the harbor and it was not only in the water, and it was also aerosolized into the air, and both civilians and servicemen were getting sick from it. They wanted to cover it up because they were worried the Germans would find out, and then that would be a huge fiasco, and the Germans might actually use poison gas against the Allies because they saw that we had it. And so long story short, lots of these men had terrible mustard gas wounds, and a very smart doctor basically realized, I'm, even though he didn't know about the mustard gas bombs, I'm dealing with a chemical injury here. And when a, an intact mustard gas bomb was brought up from the harbor and it had U.S. markings, so it was clearly ours, he was, his uh, suspicions were confirmed. And he realized, wow, these victims have ridiculously low white blood cell counts. Like normal white blood cell counts are several thousand. These guys had less than 100 white blood cell counts. And so he realized quite astutely, I wonder what this would do for like lymphoma. <laughs> hmm. Could this be used for conditions in which there's 
overproduction of white blood cells. And this actually led to studies that resulted in mustargan, which was the very first cancer chemotherapy drug. Uh, and it was, it was just born of World War II. You know, mustard gas had famously been used in World War I, but nobody had really caught on to its actual effect on white blood cell counts. So this is an example of where, you know, one of my favorite adages is the title of the talk. You know, it's the only winner in war is medicine. It's so true. And this is an example of how out of tragedy, we can find lessons that help us. Yeah, you you, you write so effectively about this subject, too. And you, you have... Um an academic history in, in studying mm-hmm. uh, war and the, the history of, of combat at Yale. And I, I wonder, what, what parallels do you see in the recent war against COVID? Because we mm. certainly had some dire circumstances then, yet, and I don't even know the, yeah. the half of it, how question. we rallied. Yeah. So just off the top of my head, you know, I think the main parallel between COVID and World War II, for example, is that necessity is the mother of invention. You know, it's true in wartime. It was absolutely true of the COVID pandemic. And much of the credit for mRNA vaccines for COVID belongs to a scientist named Katie Carrico, who I also love to tell this story. Uh, She was kind of a journey woman scientist at University of Pennsylvania, where I went to medical school. And I actually interviewed her for my book. And she labored in obscurity for years with little support from her university or the NIH. And she and her partner, Drew Weissman, develop the use of mRNA so that our own cells can kind of produce the proteins we desire. And anyway, you know, it's, it's an example of how, thank goodness in our history, some heroes rise and meet the challenge. Not everyone does. We've had many failings in the COVID pandemic. But again, it's an example of how, you know, an amazing achievement where we got a vaccine for human testing only 42 days after getting um, you know, the genetic code that was shared by Chinese scientists that was introduced, that was tested and then introduced in a year, less than a year. And it's just another example of how uh, something good came out of the tragedy of the pandemic, just like so many of the medical advances stemming from World War II. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. I got to believe that we'll look back on the development of that vaccine as being one of the great wonders. And, and just, as you say, the necessity is the mother of invention. We just needed it, and it was um, developed. And the timeline yeah. is just mm-hmm. was really very, very impressive work. Of course, with Dr. Andrew Lamb. Dr. Andrew Lamb is the author of several books, Saving Sight, Two Sons of China, Repentance, and his new book is The Masters of Medicine, Our Greatest Triumphs in the Race to Cure Humanity's Deadliest Diseases. Dr. Lamb, the um, again, the book is excellent. I really want to highly recommend this to our audience. Congratulations. The notes, the index sections. I, I like to 
pay attention to those because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so impressive the <laughs> amount of work that goes into writing and you have done a really amazing amount of work there and I wonder if you just tell us what did you find? What was it that intrigued you the, maybe most of all uh, in your work in writing the Masters of Medicine? And just share that with us briefly. First, thank you for reading the notes. I, I, I'm sure like a lot of historians, I put a ton of work into yeah, that because just yeah. for myself as someone who's very meticulous, you kind of got to be meticulous if you're going to be a surgeon. I, I, I loved putting things in there that I frankly knew 99% of people would never read. But for myself, I love putting in little tidbits of of factoids that I thought mm-hmm. I find fascinating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to answer your question, well, what did I find uh, int- unexpected mm-hmm. or intriguing? Yep. I think this research on all these medical discoveries and the unsung medical heroes who made them, I think what surprised me most was frankly how human failings marred so many of these accomplishments. You know, many times when you read these stories, you find that jealousy, envy, rivalry, self-interest, uh, disrupted relations between the discoverers or hindered future discoveries because the scientists spent so much time seeking credit or fighting with each other. You know, I'm thinking of the incredible discovery of insulin in 1921 by a quartet of Canadian scientists and doctors who basically loathed each other at various times. You know, just to put it in a nutshell, one of them, Frederick Banting, hated his co-discoverer so much that he almost refused his Nobel Prize just because he was so mad that that guy was also going to get one. I mean, who does that, right? <laughs> right? And then there were also incredible rivalries. So in the 19th century, there was a rivalry between the two top kind of microbiologists of the era. They were like Robert Koch, who was German, and Louis Pasteur, who was French. And these guys would publicly attack each other, insult each other in articles that they published, and sometimes even, believe it or not, at medical meetings where the opponent, the other guy was sitting in the first row. Like you're literally excoriating a person from the podium and the guy is sitting right in front of your face. Wow. It's amazing. And in our in the 20th century, there's an important rivalry that ironically benefited all of us because it was between Jonas Salk and Albert Sabin in the race for the polio vaccine. And these guys had different approaches and they both thought they were right and the other was wrong. And they would, they would attack, they would criticize each other in meetings, you know, even though Salk's uh, vaccine came out first and had saved thousands of lives, Saban still publicly criticized it, even in testimony to Congress. And the debate over whose vaccine was better continued even after these guys had died in the 90s and even went into our century in the 21st century. So that, of course, was an example of how humanity benefited, I guess, because it drove both guys to... Um, work really hard to outdiscover each other. And so sometimes I guess humanity benefits from the worst in us. But I think that overall, it was really an interesting point that um, these doctors, these heroes, uh, were just as fallible as all of us can be, you know. And, you know, I think it was very important to me and made the work more human by sh- making sure I sh- shared all of this warts and all, essentially. <laughs> Amazing stuff. That is wonderful. Well, we're talking to each other, Dr. Lam, in July, kind of the the heat of summer and the the very best of baseball is upon us. And and just uh, last night, the All-Star game was was played. You have this great heartwarming story about Jimmy and his love of baseball in the Mm -hmm. book and the Boston Braves and Jimmy's fund. There's lots of connections to today, but I'm going to let you tell the story because I, I just thought... It's sure. just a beautiful, a lovely story about um, the impact that Jimmy had. And so maybe talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit about Jimmy and Jimmy's fund. 
Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories, not least because it's from my home state of Massachusetts. Mm. And, you know, it's, most people know what the Jimmy Fund is today, but mm-hmm. before the, you know, in, in the first half of the 20th century, there was no Jimmy Fund. There was practically no medical treatment for cancer. And the story starts with Sidney Farber. Farber was a pathologist at Boston Children's Hospital, and he had kind of reached what many would call the pinnacle of one's medical career. And he could have just rested on his laurels for the rest of his career, but he didn't. He decided to take up a hopeless cause, and that was to try to find a treatment for childhood leukemia. And this was a truly tragic disease with a 100% mortality rate that would kill kids of two, three, four years of age, five years of age. You know, can you think of anything more tragic than that? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Farber wanted to do something about it. He had heard that a doctor in India had used folate or folic acid to treat kind of destitute mill workers in India who had a nutritional anemia because they were malnourished. And folate had helped them. And Farber said to himself, well, gosh, this is a medicine that helped their blood disorder. Leukemia is a blood disorder. Let's see what happens if I give kids folate. And so he did. And it was a horrible mistake because he basically hastened these kids' deaths. And it, it was a horrible error. And people in his hospital criticized him. And he could have easily slunk away and, and, and never done anything in the field again. But he actually did the opposite. He learned from his mistake. He said to himself, if folate makes this worse, what if I got an antagonist to folate, an anti-folate medicine and used it? And he did. And this was successful. He was, he was able to put kids with leukemia into remission, which had never been done before. And this became a medicine called aminopterin, which was the first cancer chemotherapeutic for leukemia. And now he realized, oh my goodness, I can actually help people. There's so much more to discover. I've only touched the tip of the iceberg. But to do that, I want to, you know, start a charity fund. And um, I need a lot of money so that we can do more research and help more patients. And so he started this this charity fund, but he knew he kind of needed a poster child for it to kind of represent like all young kids with cancer to the public. And so he thought about the kids on his ward. And he remembered, he thought about this kid who was 12 years old. His name was Einar Gustafsson. And this kid was a young man from Maine who was doing well with his treatment. And to protect his identity, Farber created a pseudonym and decided to call him Jimmy. And Jimmy was introduced to the nation on a popular national radio show called Truth or Consequences. The host was in Los Angeles, and they patched his audio into uh, Jimmy's hospital room in Boston. And Jimmy loved baseball. He loved the Boston Braves. And the audience heard this adorable kid just being shocked and delighted when his favorite baseball players would walk into his room one by one. And after this poignant and touching episode, the host exhorted the audience to help save little boys and girls like Jimmy by donating to this cancer fund. And it had an incredible effect. That very night, people came to the Boston Children's Hospital lobby to try and donate money. And now, of course, the Jimmy Fund is one of the most successful charities in the history uh, of our our country and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is a renowned hospital for cancer care. So thank you for allowing me to share that story. I really think it's a great one. Oh, well, thank you. Because I, uh, of course, have heard of Dana-Farber. I I didn't connect Mm -hmm. it immediately to Sidney Farber. So this is just such a a great story in your book and a a great example of out of dire circumstances come these amazing medical advancements. We are, of course, with Andrew Lamb, MD. Dr. Lamb has written this fantastic book, The Masters of Medicine. It's really excellent. We'll have links 
in the show notes today so that our audience can find out more about Dr. Lamb, his upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, and his wonderful book, The Masters of Medicine. I just have one final question for you, Dr. Lamb, then we'll mm-hmm. get, get you on your way. I know you're very, very busy. Um, I want to talk a little bit about I, I put your your uh, maybe your your hat that is, it gives you a chance to look into the crystal ball a little bit and talk about medical innovation and maybe what's coming. Do, what what is the mm-hmm, future sure. of medicine and what does it hold, particularly in terms of these these deadly diseases that we are still trying to overcome, still trying to develop cures for, tr- still trying to overcome? Will we be looking at plants? Will we be looking at uh, you know, other AI, will this kind of, how is yeah. this all kind of coming together to give us, uh, you know, some hope for a, for a promising. Yeah. Kind so of that's always very important to all of us. Of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, my book is about the incredible advances that have been made in the last 150 mm-hmm. years, but you know, we're on a continuum of technological progress and we certainly hope and pray that our advances continue. There's many aspects of the future that I'm very personally excited about. So for example, just very briefly, I'll just list a few that come to mind. Uh, Stem cells, you know, Mm -hmm. we're seeing progress using stem cells to create artificial organs. um, In my own field, we hope this will help people with macular degeneration, for example, which is a a leading cause of legal blindness in people who are over 65. Uh, Gene therapy, CRISPR technology has already enabled scientists to do gene editing to correct gene mutations that cause terrible inherited diseases like sickle cell disease, um, mRNA technology, which is, was used in the COVID vaccine. This allows us to have cells make any protein we want. Like we make our cells be little factories that make helpful proteins um, that can easily be used for vaccines, for example. So if we know the DNA vaccine, uh, the DNA sequence that make, makes a virus's unique spike protein, for example, uh, we can just put that using synthetic mRNA, put that into our bodies and have the cells make that spike protein. It it cannot cause the disease because it's not making the virus. It's just causing one little protein that allows our immune system to recognize it in case we ever really get the disease. And then the immune system can basically attack it swiftly. Uh, In cancer, immunotherapy, talking about the immune system, is a really exciting part of this new, uh, part part of this um, field. You know, we can proliferate T cells and make them like guided missiles to attack cancer cells and spare normal cells, which is not what we're doing with chemotherapy, which is destructive to everything, essentially all cells. So in this way, we've kind of begun to achieve the dream of creating a personalized cancer vaccine. Um, AI, like you mentioned, it's going to revolutionize diagnosis and screening. You know, in my field, for example, as a retina surgeon, um, we take care of people with diabetic retinopathy. And as a doctor, I'm examining people trying to diagnose diabetic retinopathy, but it's not easy, right? Because it's not that much fun to have a doctor shining a blinding light in your eye or poking around your eye and trying to squeeze your, open your eyes, but you're trying to squeeze shut. It's, it's like uh, the fact that most uh, airplane crashes are pilot error. Doctors are fallible. But what if I trained a computer program and took million, a million fundus photos or retina photos to train the computer to know what diabetic retinopathy looked like, that program is not going to make a mistake. And it's going to revolutionize our ability to make proper and accurate diagnosis, especially because there's generally a dearth of doctors in many parts of our country. And this is going to become very important. So those are just a few. Gosh, thanks for letting me just ramble on uh, about uh, exciting things in the future. (laughs) 
Well, I, I'm smiling to myself. I'm, ha- I'm happy to have you ramble. We hope that you'll come back at some point as you write about um, more, obviously, I'd the author of four too. books. That would be great. Award-winning author of Saving Sight, Dr. Andrew Lamb has been with us talking about his new book, The Masters of Medicine, also talking with us about his upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation going to be on August 23rd. We'll have more details in the show notes. The title of Dr. Lamb's presentation at Smithsonian is The Only Winner in War is Medicine. Dr. Andrew Lamb, thanks so much again. Congratulations. Uh, boy. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And um, my best to you. Take care. Appreciate it. My thanks to Dr. Andrew Lamb for his generous time today. Dr. Lamb will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates coming up. So please check out our website and Smithsonian Associates website for more details on his full presentation. Of course, the title is The Only Winner in War is Medicine. Great stuff. My thanks always to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks, of course, to you, our special audience here on the Not Old Better Show Inside Science Series on radio and podcast. Please be well, be safe, and remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week.